Hello, everybody! Welcome back to another episode of SP Now. This is episode 25 for December 18th. Josh, who's our sponsor today? Hey, everybody. Uh, today, this episode is brought to you by Kellogg McDonald's. If you haven't tried their McCafe donut sticks with chocolate sauce, it's time. They are served during the breakfast hours and only for a limited time. The donut sticks are sweetened dough strips that are deep fried, then sprinkled with cinnamon sugar and served up warm. This sweet treat is made even better now by adding chocolate sauce for dipping. Ooh. Chocolate sauce, Chance. Mm-hmm. Stop in at Kellogg McDonald's and enjoy an order of them now. Boy, I, I, I actually might need to go in there and do that. <laughs> oh, that does sound tasty, though. They're they're, they're pretty good. Um, uh, what's going on, Josh? You know, from uh, the last few days, I mean, we've been we've been busy. We've been covering events. We we've had busy. weekend events. We've had breaking news. We've had just just everything could happen. We've had a, just a boatload of sports. Sprinkle it in with some really bad Santa laughter, and it's mm-hmm. just we're just staying at the top of our game. Right Hell, now. I'm behind right now. I'm supposed to be at a jury trial at the moment. Oh, well, so well, I guess the jury's still out, and if you'll make it, <laughs> perfect. Okay, well, um, next time I hit one of those jokes, I'm busting out the Santa laugh. I like that. You need to, you need to do that. <laughs> um, let's let's jump over to our Friday, December 13th headlines. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a good paper. Mm-hmm, good mm-hmm. pictures on the front. Oh yeah, solid paper. Yeah. Very colorful. Lots of good content here. Not that not that all of our papers aren't aren't fantastic, but sometimes this, we just like certain papers more than others. And they, 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 sometimes they lay out well. We've got mm-hmm. some decent art on here, uh, other than three mug shots. But you know, um, that's how it goes. Uh, headline: Zimmer Essman seen at Law Day jury trial set for next week. So that the one that I literally just talked about for injury to child case. Uh, I showed up. Uh, I covered uh, the annual, annual, monthly, monthly law day. Yeah, that would. That's yeah. They do two, one or two a month. They yeah. try to do. I think they try to do one actually, but if it bleeds over, they have. Bleeds over, they do two. Okay, well, I would. Pre- so I, I think to... they would prefer to only have one or maybe even like none. Oh yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, if they, if it, yeah, perfect world. Um, so I went to law day last Wednesday. And of uh, among the many cases that were talked about were the cases of uh, Mr. Jeffrey Zimmer Jr., Michael Essman, and David Hardy. Um, just I'm not going to go into the, the full cases of all of them, but to just gloss over real quick for you. Uh, Mr. Zimmer Jr. was uh, arrested on November 18th. Um, yes, it was November 18th. Uh, he was the man, we've talked about this on the podcast before, the slow speed pursuit that uh, went through the valley here on November 18th. Uh, Mr. Zimmer uh, was initially uh, picked up uh, near the gondolier in uh, in Kellogg, but he was found outside of his outside of his vehicle after he called the cops on himself because he told dispatch that uh, uh, the Hell's Angels were chasing him and that a shot had been fired. Uh, they went up to him. They found that he was drunk. He he blew positive for be- being drunk. So. Um, but he wasn't in the he wasn't in the vehicle, and thank, uh, thanks to the new uh, Idaho Supreme Court decision, uh, they could not uh, arrest him. So they just cited and released him, and the passenger who was sober uh, got in the driver's seat and they drove away. <laughs> well, uh, about an hour, roughly an hour later, uh, they were uh, law, local law enforcement was reported that Montana State Police uh, were having problems with him, and he had ran a couple semis off the road in Montana, and he was coming <laughs> back to Idaho. 
So local law enforcement caught up with him around Mullen, and uh, he was going about 40 miles per hour down the center of the interstate, holding up traffic, swerving at anybody who was trying to pass him. Uh, it was it, it led to an almost com- I mean, if it wasn't such a serious situation, it was quite comical. Um, <laughs> it was, comical. and it, it, it got even worse. It got even worse because when they spiked his tires, he was going at like 20 miles an hour down the freeway until he finally pulled off. Um, <laughs> the spikes are almost designed to only be used in like high speed situations yeah at five miles an hour there's a good chance you might like knock him over yeah and drive right over yeah so so the the spikes finally got him he was pulled over um he was found in possession of meth and he was under the influence at the time uh alcohol and meth um so he basically is he just had his first uh, appearance in court he pled not guilty to all the charges he's i, I know i don't you guys have to see this face that Josh is giving me right now. I, I know everybody in the world has him on video. We literally have him on video driving down the middle of the interstate in his truck, but he pled not guilty, um, and uh, his so he'll be he'll be have another appearance here later on. You ever see that movie uh, Role Models? Chance? I think so. Uh, Paul Rudd and yeah, I've seen it. Stifler. Yeah, and uh, the, the the girlfriend's a lawyer and she's defending the guy and he's like. I would never steal a TV. And they're like, we have video. And the video has him. And he's like, look at me. And then he says his name. (laughs) Stealing TVs. (laughs) Jeffrey Zimmer, you are that guy. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it's (laughs) we here at the news press never never, uh, say anything before anybody's proven guilty. But uh, I... I, I mean, from I my from my bag. own personal experience, I was on the freeway. I I literally videotaped him. His window was down. I I have him on video driving that car. Uh, I mean, it's best part was there was a passenger. Maybe he gets a good lawyer. That's that's basically uh, a good lawyer. A really good lawyer. And if he gets a lawyer that good, then I expect us to be there. I expect everyone to go see that. <laughs> Because that is going to be the defense of the century. Yes. Um, okay, moving on. Uh, Michael Esman was also uh, brought up. Uh, Esman's case, um, he's, he's been in and out uh, law enforcement for a while. It basically stems from an arrest that he was uh, picked up in Smelterville a while back. Uh, let's see if here I can find the actual date. This Got guy's a f- frequent flyer there. He is a frequent flyer. Um, he was initially picked up. Uh, he was initially arrested uh, in Smelterville. Or he wasn't. Uh, rather, uh, they found a backpack that belonged to him, but they needed to get a warrant to open it up. Uh, drug canine uh, was used to, to to seize that bag, and then once they opened it up, they found meth. Uh, a warrant was issued for him. He was arrested, um, and then uh, he skipped bail. So uh, it's been a while. He's been he's been. Uh, people might recognize Mr. Esman's name because he's been a he's been frequent, uh, uh, rather uh, featured in our wanted felons and misdemeanors uh, page a lot. Yeah. Uh, so he was finally finally arrested in Kellogg, I believe. Um, he is uh, set for trial. He also has pled guilt. Well, sorry, let me rephrase that. He's he definitely did plead not guilty, but he is. It, it wasn't uh, it wasn't an admit deny thing. Uh, they were just he's his bond has been revoked. He's not uh, and he's gonna uh, await sentencing. So uh, Mr. Esman is is on is on is pushed out. Uh, last but not least, uh, this is the recording of the, uh, the trial today that I'm uh, going to go to as soon as we're done recording. Um, Mr. Uh, David Hardy, uh, not a lot of not a lot of info I can get for this uh, inform, uh, this particular case because just this, um, the with the jury trial coming up, um, a lot of that information is just not 
available to us as it normally would with any other case. Um, uh, but Mr. Mr. David Hardy is being charged with two separate counts of uh, causing serious bodily harm to a one-year-old child. Uh, court documents indicate that um, he's being charged with uh, uh, breaking breaking the left leg of a of the of the infant, fracturing the left arm, right forearm, causing oral trauma and facial bruising to the child uh, on two separate occasions. Um, uh, once uh, from from uh, sources that I, I spoke with, uh, Hardy was uh, law enforcement did an investigation and they issued a warrant for his arrest. Uh, it was believed that he was he had fled town, went to Oregon, and U.S. Marshals were actually sent after him. But uh, upon learning of that, he turned himself in. So uh, th- there is more to this case, and we'll reveal re- we'll reveal it uh, going later on down after we go to the jury trial. But for the moment, that's that's basically what the what court records what the the little court records that we could get indicate, and uh, what was told to us from law enforcement. So um, yeah, that's that's the law day wrap. Wow. He sounds like a winner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, going down to the middle here. Uh, headline, so many trees, so little time. Uh, I had a chance to talk to uh, uh, it's, uh, Julie Serkovich and uh, oh, Kathy. What is your last name, Kathy? Davis? Is it Davis? Davis. And they are the uh, managers of the uh, Senior Services Center in... Uh, Osborne here, and they every year put on the annual Festival of Trees fundraiser, and this is where people come and they donate uh, these intricately decorated trees, and they're just awesome trees. And then they donate them to the Senior Services Center, and then they are like kind of a quasi mix between a raffle and an auction um, to to raise money for them. I okay, mean, okay. Like, so, for instance, there's one at uh, Building Maintenance in Wallace that's like someone offered like $200 for it. Oh, wow. Uh, meanwhile, these raffle tickets are for like $2 each, and you can write your name on one that you want to be raffled off for. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's just kind of crazy how it works. Like some people are willing just to stay... Hey, I want to buy this. Right. And then each of the trees, some people will just buy the tickets and throw tickets at it. Some people will throw multiple tickets at it. Sure. Um, Then in the county courthouse, each department will decorate and donate a tree as kind of a competition. And those, those trees are actually displayed inside the courthouse right there in the rotunda when you walk in. But, uh... You know, it's just a cool fundraiser. They bring in uh, a few thousand dollars with it. And we've talked about the Meals on Wheels service that they provide. They they provide over 1,200 meals a year, or I'm sorry, a month mm-hmm. to people, to senior citizens here in the, the Silver Valley from Mullen to Rose Lake. And that is either through home delivery or at one of their, like, congregate meal sites. So uh, th- this is just a group that really, really uh, deserves as much support as we can give them. Um I think the fundraiser actually runs until the 19th, so there's still time this week. If you want to get in and try to, you know, draw a ticket, but it, it was a, it's a, fun, it's always a fun story, and it's always fun to go look at the trees. Very cool. Yep. Oh yeah. No, it it really livens up that first floor in the courthouse. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, other story: uh, Wallace and the city of Wallace and the Shoshone County Sheriff's Office agreed to a new contract last week at their. Uh, their city council meeting. Um, 
So with Wallace being the county seat here in Shoshone County, um, it, and that's where both the courthouse and the sheriff's department have to be based out of. There's like a, there, it's like a legality. Um, so instead of Wallace having their own police department, uh, they have just taken up a contract with the sheriff's office for the last, I, I want to say forever, but I can't, I can't honestly verify that it's. What, their Wallace police was a thing, but I don't remember when it was. Right. Okay. But, but at one time it was the Wallace, there was a Wallace police department. So what they had to do is they agreed on a, uh, a five-year contract where the, Amount of money that is paid each year gradually increases over the the life each year over the life of the contract. Um, this just makes sure that the county agrees to to provide law enforcement services to the city, patrol, enforce city ordinances, things of that nature. Um, they had to kind of go back and forth a little bit to get some language figured out in the contract because, uh, you know, the the after the final year, there's no real. What what happens when it runs out? Well, if uh, if the contract runs out and no decision is made, then the contract will literally just pick up from that final year and just carry over. So that was my interpretation of that, which was a uh, uh, it's a wise move for the city of Wallace. And then the other uh, verbiage change is prior to uh, the final draft of the contract. Uh, either party, the city of Wallace or the sheriff's office, could back out of the deal, terminate the contract, as long as they give sixty days written notice. So uh, that you know, two months, and in, in that time, the city or whoever would have to figure out what they were going to do for law enforcement, enforcing city ordinances. Um, we've seen this uh, a few times over the past few years, where, uh, for instance, most recently, the the city of Wardner dropped their contract with the city of Kellogg mm-hmm. and their police department and have embraced the sheriff's department as their primary uh, patrol. Mm-hmm. Um, the city of Smelterville did the exact same thing. Yep. And the city of Pinehurst dropped their their own police department, took up, well, kind of. They kind of embraced the sheriff's office. So the sher- they, they had a contract with the sheriff's office and now they have Pinehurst PD. Right. But it went from Pinehurst PD to the, to the sheriff's, sheriff's office and back, back to, to Pinehurst, Pinehurst PD. Yeah. So they've actually, then and that's in the, like the last five years. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think even Mullen has a contract with, it's like a limited contract like Smelterville's. Mullen has a, a limited contract as well. Yeah. Um, and I would assume. Like it's like, not for a full-time deputy. It's for like hours right. of patrol. Yeah. I and I think it's something that all, uh, all incorporated cities have to have something, mm-hmm. um, whereas like Kingston and Silverton and some of those areas don't really have, like they're just patrolled by the sheriff's department because they're they're unincorporated territory there. So, um, so they agreed on that, and the new the new contract says that 120 days must be written notice must be given before the contract's terminated. So instead of two months, it's four months. Gotcha. Okay. So, uh, solid, uh, solid agreement there. Uh, good move for both both groups. Um, Wallace is not having to necessarily spend money to uh, to train, maintain, and uh, you know the upkeep that comes with law enforcement department, mm. and uh, it also helps the sheriff's office generate more funds. So, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much a win win for both sides. Yeah, absolutely. And then the uh, the last story here. Uh, 
ski season is upon us and we're not going to go too in detail here because i mean for all those you ski bums out there you know how great it was but we but, can announce it that but saturday both, opening days both both silver mountain and lookout uh opened this past weekend um looks like we had snow totals up over a feet on uh, over a foot over a feet over a foot on both mm-hmm. hills mm-hmm. um and uh you know I, people kind of talk cuz you hear some of the people who are uh from like over the over the hill, they tend to gravitate towards Silver Mountain, whereas a lot of locals really really like Lookout. Yeah. Um. So it, it's funny because we have these two great hills, and and they appeal to. I mean, realistically, anyone who tries either one of them seems to love them, but it, it seems funny how they they kind of draw their own very specific crowds. So uh, one of the things uh, you guys might want to do is. Every week going forward, we are going to be, uh, on Thursdays, we will be having our Thrashing Thursday ski reports on our Facebook page. And that's uh, Mitch Alexander and uh, Marty Gibson. Mm-hmm. And they will be kind of letting you know what's going on on the hills when they're up on them. I know they spend a lot of time on Lookout. And I'm pretty sure they'll get they'll get up on Silver this year. So quality, quality uh, skiing and snowboarding. And for all you winter sports enthusiasts, have a good time. And please, please be safe. Like, there's nothing we hate more than having to write search and rescue stories about Uh people who went out of bounds and got lost or got injured. Uh, Skiing might be fun, but it's definitely not worth dying over. No, definitely not. Um, Hey, maybe maybe it's so good this year that Shaq will come back. (laughs) That was tubing. And I never thought those tubes could look small. Until seven foot tall Shaq was on it. That was pretty. That was pretty good. How long ago was that? A year, two years, two, three years now. New okay. Year's Eve or whatever. Hey, it's almost the end of December, and for those uh, who need snow tires, uh, check out Silver Tire. Their Cooper snow tires uh, still have a fifty dollar mail in rebate included with them. The snow is on its way. I mean, it's already here, and it's time to keep your car safe. Stop in and see them at 407 West Cameron Avenue in Kellogg or give them a call at 208-784-1181. They'd be happy to mount a new set of snow tires on your vehicle. Got to go in. Got to do it. Got to get it done. I mean, at, at this point, if you, we've been, we've been, how many weeks have been saying get your snow tires on? I mean, since October. So if, you, if you're doing it now, I mean, it's kind of on you. I mean, at least the snow's not too bad yet. No, it's not too bad. You could still, you could still get it going. Although it's getting cold, though. It didn't stop the uh, the uh, loving, loving, kind plow drivers in the city of Kellogg mm. from you know leaving a giant berm in front of my driveway. We'll have to, we'll have to run the, uh, we'll have to run our yearly uh, uh, story on how the snowplows work here in the county. Oh, or how they don't. I mean, they obviously have worked because you got snowed in so good thing i have kids who are able to go out there and break those berms down i was a i was a salty old man <laughs> you punks leaving berms in front of my driveway just shake your fist at them every time they drive yeah, by ev- every time that makes sense okay fair enough <laughs> so All tuesday right. headlines yes this tuesday one came with uh this was breaking news, breaking technically speaking. News as as breaking as it comes here at show show news press yes absolutely um 
uh, for, I think, uh, depending on who you are, uh, good or bad news, but the strike goes on. Uh, United uh, Steelworkers Union 5014 chapter, uh, the membership voted down a tentative contract agreement uh, between, the, uh, between them and uh, Hecla Mining Company. Um, this agreement, we've talked about it before. Um, if, if you're very, if you're curious in the tentative agreement, um, it, the full one, it was on Heckler's website. They might have taken it down since. Oh no, it's still there. Okay. Um, and then also uh, our our previous story on it, I believe that was probably a week or two ago. Yeah. Um, that that was explained explained that uh, contract for you. But um, the, so the, the tentative agreement was agreed upon by both negotiating committees from the union and Hecla. Um, the vote was pretty close. It was uh, 71 votes for to 80 against, so only lost by nine. Um, so, I mean, progress is progress, I suppose, on, on getting everybody together. This is probably, to my knowledge, the closest vote that it's been. Yeah. Um, it usually you, usually these are all blowouts um, uh, in favor of, you know, going not agreeing to it. So at least, at least progress is progress here. Um, but... Uh, it sounds like uh, we, we reached out to union reps for comment. We couldn't we couldn't get them by deadline. Uh, but uh, for Hecla wise, we were able to speak with Hecla's uh, vice president of external communications, uh, external affairs rather. Sorry about that, um, Luke Russell, and he uh, basically told us that they're disappointed that the the union didn't uh, didn't vote for it. Um, the the vote was held at the U, uh, USW local hall three three eight Union Hall in Spokane. Uh, yeah, Monday afternoon, the results came out kind of in the afternoon. Uh, so we were able to get this in the, in the top page of the paper, um, shortly after, not shortly after, but a, a couple hours after the, the vote came out, um, Heckler released a press, uh, press release, um, essentially, uh, from, uh, from Luke. Uh, well, I'm assuming it was written by Luke, but it could have been anybody else, but it did include quotes from, uh, Heckler president and CEO, Phil Baker. Uh, basically he talks about, let me flip to a eight here. All right. Um, news release. Uh, he's so quote. Uh, we will be now accelerate hiring and utilizing contractor contractors with the goal of reaching full production by year end 2020. While we would have preferred to rat, preferred ratification of the agreement reached by the two negotiating committees after three years of negotiating, we believe the best interests of the company and the community is the Lucky Friday in full operation. So um, in the previous story that I wrote on this, uh, Phil, uh, Mr. Baker talked about uh, the ramp-up process, how it's going to take a year. Uh, when he was talking about that, uh, he, it was under the assumption that this agreement was going to be passed, not not shot down. Uh, but it sounds like uh, even, regard, even without uh, the union labor, it sounds like they are going to try to get uh, the Friday back up to full production by the end of 2020, which uh, from the quotes that we received and the information that we have, Sounds like they're going to be doing that uh, just basically through rehiring through uh, through new people, through contractors and uh, new hourly people. So um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, um, I don't. As far as further negotiations between the union and Hecla, uh, nothing is scheduled as far as we know at this time. Um, but uh, Luke Russell said that they're always open. They're they're happy to sit down if they have any ideas how to change it. Um, it it's just kind of a unique situation. I mean. This is something that was technically agreed upon by by both sides, but wasn't passed. So um, it, it kind of puts both sides into a pickle of you know what do we change because we already came to an agreement. Right. So um, uh, it, it's going to be kind of an interesting little little prospect of how you handle it. I mean, again, uh, nothing through lack of trying. This is the closest vote that I've seen sure. in this whole progress. So it seems like this was this was in the right direction. 
um, it'd be interesting that to to talk to some of the union miners and see you know what what uh, we've we've seen we've been following comments on our Facebook page and whatnot, but uh, it seems like there's a there's a lot of opinions out there, and it's a heated topic always, of course. But um, sounds like uh, sounds like the heckle is going to move forward on it. Um, all right, so I'll play. Uh, no, I don't want to play devil's advocate. I'm going to play advocate of the confused bystander. Okay. Um, you know, we post the story. We get a lot of reactions. We get a lot of comments. We see a lot of stuff. The The problem is I don't understand, you know, when we say, well, what are you guys looking for? And they just say a fair contract. Mm-hmm. Okay. Re- referring to uh, supporters of the union. Yeah, union supporters, union members. Yes. A fair contract. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Because so far... I haven't. I have not gotten a single person who's been willing to answer that question to me. What What is a fair contract? Like what's a specific number? Yeah, like uh, there was a comment, a like specific that. comment on there where it was looking for that, and 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 even people were uncomfortable publicly answering it, hmm. which makes it really hard to to look at it and go, okay, well if. You want to feel bad for the people who are on strike because they're saying that's unfair labor practices, or it was. Sure. But when you want to know what they want, what they deem fair, and they don't tell you, that gets awfully difficult to, like, the sympathy eventually runs out. Because at this point, we're just going, well, we don't even really know or understand what you want. Well, Over and I a think a thousand it- days later, and we still don't know what it is you're after. So in that and that could be and that's something that even their negotiation committee might need to speak with them about is because I mean like I like we've mentioned this was agreed upon by the union's negotiation committee. This was a this was a mutual tentative agreement between the two that just needed to be ratified. So with with now granted again a narrow by a narrow or narrow defeat, you know, not 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 overwhelming, but um enough for it to not pass. So it would be kind of up to, you know, the union members to talk to their negotiating committees and explain to them, you know, what what they want and then try to see if something can be can be matched there. I mean, we this... spoke to union leadership, though, who told us that they thought this was a good deal. That's true. Uh, we do have we, we spoke with uh, David Roos beforehand, the so union president, and he and he, he did endorse it. So at this point. And this is this is me just blatantly not understanding some of the the back workings of this. I mean, what do you do in this? Is this a no confidence now in your president in your leader? Because if he said this was a good deal for the union, and they the membership said no, mm-hmm. what does this mean for him sure. and the rest of the people in the leadership who thought this was a good deal? You know, I, I guess we're just and where's of, and so it would be interesting to to find out where the disconnect is. Right. You know, where, 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 and that's truly not in like a in like a mean spirited way. Like we're we're genuinely curious because there obviously is a disconnect here between, you know, I what mean, for, what the negotiation committee and leadership discussed versus what the members actually think. For months, it was or years, it was mm-hmm. the bid system. But I've in the comments that I've read through on our Facebook page, I don't have I haven't seen the the bid. It system wasn't mentioned. It mentioned. wasn't mentioned. Now much. I'm seeing dollar amounts thrown out there sure. saying. You know, uh, someone mentioned uh, a sister mine where people make twenty nine dollars an hour as as uh, people at the tech level two mm-hmm. spot, whereas that's like a twenty one dollar an hour spot 
according to the new Hecla pay scale. Sure. But then when you go, okay, explain this to me. Where, what, where, what sister mine? Where are you getting this information from? Can you please tell me what what it is? And they they go silent. Hmm. So like from the sympathy side, you have to wonder like the community around here might just be getting tired of this. Uh, well, and I think that was I think that's the one thing. I, I mean, even that was conveyed pretty heavily well, by everyone. I mean, I think everyone is tired of this. Yeah. I think even the people, uh, even the people who voted no on Dang this, near close to fifty percent of the unions tired of it. Right. Well, I mean, but even the people who voted no on it, I'm sure they're tired. They don't want to be on strike anymore, but they have different. But it's it's enough to where they'll remain on strike right. and not because because uh, something is not being conveyed by the negotiation committee obviously by the vote right. you know there's there's a disconnect there so um that's what it i mean that's what it appears to be another another thing that could i, I mean so jumping over to heckless side of things uh this push to just rehire i mean uh i genuinely do think because i mean phil talked about it in his conference call i genuinely do think that they would like they would rather prefer to have you know, this workforce back and immediately, because it, it's quicker to get the mind back going, you know, hiring over time is probably going to, you got to retrain, you got to train these people and that kind of thing. So it, it would take longer, but, um, I think they're just going to, they're going to push forward. And since, since the strike is no longer, uh, unfair under over, over unfair labor practice, it's now an economic strike. Uh, it's been explained to me that, uh, Hecla can hire whoever they want and they don't have to bring anyone back. So um, that's another factor that, that goes into this. That definitely makes things interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll continue to follow it as it goes along. Um, if there's any new developments that come out from this, uh, we'll, we'll definitely been following it. We've been following it for over three years now. and I, we're gonna Almost three years. Well, the strike has been going for almost three years, but oh, I've been yeah, covering guess, it yeah. 11 months before the strike. So yeah. um, we've been covering it for, so I guess almost four years now, technically speaking. True. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll continue to follow it if anything happens. Um, to talk to the union. If, if any union members would like to come out and talk to us here on the podcast or, or reach out to us, we'd love to, you know, we'd like to get that message out. We'd like to explain uh, what, what, what you're look, what is it that you're looking for in, in this deal to where you would, where it would vote. And again, I, I, I keep stressing it, but I do want to point this out. It was narrowly defeated, you know, nine votes and six of them after looking at the, the official ballot, six votes were voided. Um, and I, I'm, that wasn't explained to us, but I'm assuming it was because just like an error on the page or, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, what that means. Yeah, exactly. So, um, so it was, it was close. It was very close. So, um, you know, there, it, it seems like there's, there's enough there to where they're on the edge. Something could be, could be tweaked maybe, and maybe they could come to an agreement because I think you're right. You said the community is sick of it. And I, I think. I think everybody's just a little tired of it. I think I think everybody would be happier if the the Friday was open and everybody was back to work. Right. All right. Let's move on to the centerpiece, which I also authored. Um, uh, this was a fun story that happened over the weekend. Uh, I headlined with "Not even the Grinch could ruin shop with a cop." Um, this is an this is the fourth year in a row that Osborne PD has uh, organized the Shop with a Cop event. Um, this is basically uh, put together by a brainchild of Daryl Broughton, uh, the Osborne police chief. But uh, but all law enforcement agencies in the area are uh, involved in one way or another. Right. Um, this year it was Osborne Police Department, Shoshone County Sheriff's Office, and the Kellogg Police Department. Uh, they held uh, they based shop with the cop at uh, Shoshone County Fire District Number One. Uh, for those who are not familiar with the event, um, basically it's a it's it's uh, to help out. Um, 
uh, kids uh, that are in, t- in a time of need or don't have the resources to really have a, 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 a good Christmas, you know, like to get the presents under the tree and stuff like that. So uh, what they do is uh, parents have to register their kids and they have to check uh, certain, you know, low income uh, boxes. But after that, if they register, um, uh, children are invited to come and uh, law enforcement takes them to uh, Walmart and uh, allows each child a $100 allowance to purchase presents for themselves and family members. It's a, it's a great little program. Uh, it, it, it's continuing to grow this year. They had 83 kids compared to the 60 last year. So it continues to grow. Um, it was a two-day event like last year as well um, with, with that many kids. And, you know, the officer-to-kid ratio, um, you have to split it up between two days. But uh, uh, so this year they, they met, like I said, at the firehouse and they went to Walmart from there. And uh, they did their shopping, which was always good. Uh, uh, Broughton, Broughton told me that uh, every year they kind of have – there's a lot of kids that refuse to buy things for themselves. You know, they have to convince them to buy themselves presents because they're, they want to spend their entire allowance on, on uh, family and friends and that kind of thing. So um, always, always a selfless act, and, uh, and they have to kind of nudge them that way. But uh, after Walmart, they bring them back to the firehouse where uh, volunteers are there uh, to help them wrap gifts and um also in addition so every year they add like kind of a new thing uh at, in the after party uh so in addition to gift wrapping and a pizza party uh santa was available this year that he's been there in the previous years uh heather cowan she was there as a photographer for for people to take pictures with santa um the united states postal postal service was there uh to take letters from the kids to give them to Santa, and then Santa guarantee, and the postal service people guarantee that Santa will send them back a handwritten letter addressed from the North Pole. So uh, the kids know that they're getting a response from Santa Claus. Sweet. Uh, the newest thing this year is uh, the Grinch. Grinch, who uh, characteristically tries to steal Christmas, he showed up at this event and tried to steal some presents. Uh, but uh, McGruff the Crime Dog, who was also the other special guest uh, present, uh, was having none of that. He arrested the Grinch and uh, and put him in a cop car. And uh, after a little after a little conversation, they basically uh, they basically agreed that you know, if he apologized and said he wouldn't do it again, then they would let him come back to the party, and he did. So um, all all things worked out. The Grinch didn't steal Christmas, and uh, kids from both groups on both days, Saturday and Sunday, had a really good time. You know, Scruff McGruff versus the Grinch would be something I would watch on paper. Uh, that is that is definitely a, a good a good rumble right there. I like that. <laughs> um, uh, it is. It was reported uh, that after after the Grinch learned uh, learned his lesson and he apologized, he said, "Quote: Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more." Quote. Quote. The legendary Doctor Seuss. Oh no, the Grinch said that. Yes, the Grinch. <laughs> Finger quotes. Yes, the Grinch. Yes, uh, Josh. Let's move on to uh, to what you got here. What do you? Got? Oh, sorry. Yeah, we only have one paper. In the we room. only get one paper That's on right. these uh, Tuesdays anymore. That's right. So uh, let's go with my side rail story. Um, headline: Looking for the right solution. Uh, once again, I got to sit in on a, a meeting between the Shoshone County EMS Corp and. Uh, the members of the local emergency services community, uh, fire districts one and two, their chiefs, uh, Mullen volunteer, the hospital, the county commissioners, the whole the whole lot of them, and uh, you know, objectively covering these guys is is uh, it's 
sometimes it's not always easy to be objective here because you, you hear solutions and things and opinions and people speak and say things that just doesn't really add up. But, you know, one thing that they did talk about at this meeting, which uh, this meeting had a few moments where there was a little bit of a uh, heat, I would say. Uh, they talked about the uh, installing a taxing district, an ambulance taxing district in Shoshone County instead of the current format that they have. And the current format that they have is that the EMS Corp is a private entity that works as an intermediary almost between the, the county commissioners and the fire chiefs. They're handled, they handle the licensing, they handle uh, billing and, and all the back office type stuff as well as purchasing and maintaining vehicles and, and just there's, they do a lot. Um, but the problem is, is it leaves the, the fire chiefs and the county commissioners. Uh, it really kind of puts all of these people in a position where no one really has any control over the situation, um, which is getting uh, to a point where you can tell that the fire chiefs are getting frustrated with it. You can tell that uh, the uh, director of the EMS Corp is getting frustrated with it. Um, and they talked about installing a taxable district here in the... Uh, the, the county. An ambulance district, uh, according to uh, Idaho Code, can be installed. It, it requires a, a few a few signatures, a petition, uh, and then public comment before it can be uh, installed. And it almost doesn't need to be voted on to be installed if there is a need, like if it's an underserved community, which we definitely qualify as an underserved community. Um, the Taxable, levyable amount uh, of money starts at 0.02% of the uh, current tax base, which puts uh, puts the dollar amount for Shoshone County would be right about $217,000. Currently, we are running the EMS Corp as it is on $130,000 mm-hmm. per year annually, including mm-hmm. 86 that's levied from the community. So we're really right in that ballpark. Now, there are options. You can go up. Um, you can uh, raise that amount so that the floor of a tax district would be 0.02%. You can raise it to 0.04% without needing a vote. But the highest you can go is 0.06%. And to do that, you need a two-thirds supermajority vote. So... Um, you know, right now where they're at, there's really no need for them to do anything more. If they were to do this, to do anything more than just levy the 0.02. In fact, you know, for every three years, roughly that they levied, they would end up with right around the fourth year for free on the current system, uh, just because of what they're spending right now. So that was kind of discussed. Nothing was decided because, again, these meetings are just really kind of spitballing here, um, trying to find a solution to solving this. Because, like I said, all the sides involved are starting to kind of get tired of being uh, directionless and not having a uh, like a clear cut leader. Um, also, having this this ambulance district would allow there to be an ambulance district board that kind of. Uh, ruled over the entire situation, its its laws, its rules, its financials. Um, it would be like a direct, uh, it would be a direct group of people that all of these entities would answer to. So, 
Um, as of right now, nothing is set in stone. They're going to they're gonna break for the holidays, and then they'll come back in January to continue to talk. But uh, as of right now, I, I think that seems to be the idea that has the most traction. All right. Final story of the front page, uh, entitled Feliz Navidad. <laughs> that was a good headline. That was a good uh, Wallace celebrated uh, the kind of the conclusion wrap up of their uh, retro Christmas festival with the annual Paw Parade. Mm. Paw Parade had uh, 62 dogs in it this year as compared to, you know, when they started seven years ago, there were only 20 dogs in it. <laughs> so uh, uh, organizer Cindy Lean is really happy with how the event has grown and, and you know, continued to get bigger and better. Um, she really is starting to feel like... Uh, you know, people plan their day around the Paw Parade. They come to Wallace, they hang out, they go to, the, you know, all the businesses host little Christmas parties. Uh, all the local drinking establishments will have, you know, special drinks that you can go out on the sidewalk and drink while you watch the Paw Parade. Um, uh, to quote her, she says it's becoming a classic Wallace event. Um, and as more people move into the area, more people are trying to get involved. So just a, a, a terrific positive the Paw Parade is. For the, the local area, um, and and once again, hats off to Cindy who who organized a fun event that people got out and loved, and uh, has continued to grow, and and that pretty much wraps up our front page this uh, for this Tuesday edition. Yes, so. yes, absolutely. So, um, and with that, it's going to take us right into our interview, and we've got we got a great interview. We've got an interesting interview, and just to give you guys a heads up, this was our first foray into doing an interview over the phone. So, if you wonder, I mean, we're not live in studio today, you know, with this this interview, but we did it over the phone. So, if you're wondering why um, Idaho Cannabis Coalition uh, spokesperson Russ Belleville sounds a little recorded. It's because he's coming in over a phone. He's coming in over the phone. So but it's, um, it's, it's going to be a great interview. But we're tweaking with it. We're tweaking it, and uh, and and hopefully in the future it'll – I mean, it, the quality is definitely not bad, but um, we'll, we'll see it's, what we it's can a, do. It's a new, uh, new format that we're, we're breaking into here. Absolutely. All right, let's kick it on over. This week's interview is brought to you by Julie Zook with Silver Legacy Realty. If you're interested in buying a home in our beautiful Silver Valley or if you would like to sell your home, please contact Julie at 208-659-1764. She is your best friend in real estate. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to today's guest interview. Today we have the spokesperson for the Idaho Cannabis Coalition, Russ Belleville. Russ was uh, in Wallace over the weekend. Uh, how you doing today, Russ? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Oh, awesome, awesome. Thanks for coming in. So, you know, we weren't actually able to make it there, and that was incredibly disappointing for both Chance and myself. Uh, just so much going on these last couple weekends before the holidays uh, ramp up. But, uh, you know, where did you guys meet at? Well, we pulled into Wallace, and I don't know the exact name of uh, the park, but it was at the end of kind of a, a, a T, uh, right next to an antique store. And there was a large stairway leading up the hill, and I guess it's some sort of park or some sort of uh, uh tourist thing but I, I don't know exactly what it's called but it's just right downtown there in wallace okay i know exactly what you're talking about right there by the the, the stairs that the firefighters climb is the the part of their fundraiser every year on 9 11 they do a there they do a like a fundraiser memorial climb there so so if you got if you guys knew the locals you could have you could have gotten gotten signatures at the center of the universe that's what they call that intersection that you guys were right next to 
that's you know I think that's the the tag that I used on the Facebook post about it. I saw that Center <laughs> of the Universe thing pop up, and and someone in the comments even mentioned that. So that's yeah, funny. That's where we were. That's funny. Perfect. Well, uh, Russ, um, thanks for again, thanks for coming on. Um, let's for the for the folks who don't know who you are or or what your movement is, kind of uh, give us a little ex- explanation of what uh, ICC is is looking for and what you're doing. Well, the Idaho Cannabis Coalition is literally a coalition of various groups in Idaho that have been working over the past decade uh, to put some form of marijuana law reform on the ballot. This will range from people who are interested specifically in CBD or industrial hemp, folks that are interested in medical cannabis, folks that are interested in going further and going all the way to recreational. And while the groups may have, you know, different levels of what they're interested in supporting, we're all united on the idea that Idaho needs to stop being the only state in the West that has no medical recognition of cannabis. Right. Wow. No, I mean, it's, it's, I, we write stories up here all the time. I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar or not, but, um, the Silver Valley is essentially the I-90 corridor where the, the interstate literally goes directly through the community here. And, uh, all the time, ISP, you know, ISP, uh, local police, uh, lots of pot bus of it's like one of the main trafficking areas uh, they refer to as coming from Washington and vice versa. So uh, it definitely it definitely there, there's they're going from one legal state to another legal state, but they have to cross through Idaho to get there. So there's a 70 sure, mile no man. North land. Idaho Panhandle is, is unique geographically in that you are the least distance from any medical or legal place of any place in Idaho. You know, if someone's in the in the middle of Idaho or down in somewhere they might have to drive two three hours to get to some legal jurisdiction right. i believe where you're at it's like less than an hour to go to canada or to washington state or to montana so yeah it, that just that stuck out to me when i was up there it is a very unique area for sure yeah it's a it's essentially like i said a minute ago it's a it's a 70 mile no man's land for for those people who are making the jump here and the the funny thing is, is you know we we have conversations. We we speak with a lot of law enforcement, and we're not going to name names, but you know even they are kind of getting tired of having to uh, you know they see their their counterparts on the Montana and Washington side not having to necessarily bust people for these kinds of infractions. But here in Idaho, you know, not only do they have to bust them, but then. Uh, our our taxpayers here in Shoshone County have to pick up the the tab when it comes to prosecuting them. So, right. uh, I mean, what what kind of interaction have you had with uh, law enforcement as it pertains to this? You know, it's been interesting. Uh, we've been to thirty. My father and I. I'm, I'm driving my father around the state to collect signatures from every county, all forty four counties. So this last weekend, we were in the North Idaho swing. Uh, and uh, our first stop was in Orofino, uh, in the county just south of you, Clearwater yeah. County. Mm-hmm. And uh, we petitioned there on the street corner for 90 minutes. And after we were, had packed up when we were just about to leave, uh, we got detained by an Orofino police officer who, uh, first of all, tried to intimidate us about where we had parked on the county assessor or the uh, uh, prosecuting county attorney's parking lot, which... I believe that's public, isn't it? Especially if the place is closed and the lot, lot is empty. But he tried to tip us about that, tried to uh, get into an argument with us about medical uh, cannabis and its efficacy, and then finally tried to intimidate me or the fact that I was recording him on audio and video on my phone, like I do with 
every encounter with police, as is my constitutional right. And once he realized that I kind of knew my rights and asked whether we were being detained, he uh, quickly made sure he got out of the picture and, and let us go. That video now has gotten over 16,000 views from our Facebook page and a lot of complaints to the Orofino Police Department. But aside from that one incident, it's been fantastic. We, we've had three other incidents where we've had to deal with law enforcement, one in uh, Gooding County, one in Preston, and one in uh, Clark County. We happened to do voice. Uh, and two of those were sheriffs, and one of them was like the city police. But in all those encounters, they seemed very cognizant and, and appreciative of our First Amendment right to petition. Uh, they didn't give us any hassle for where we were standing. And a couple of them even had some sympathy for our case where they said, you know, I could support medical, I could support medical, but I worry about how it would affect, you know, their job, you know, make it harder for them to bust people with a baggie of weed. But they seemed very, you know, sympathetic to the medical aspect of it. So I, I would say, you know, things have changed a lot in the state of Idaho over the past 10 years, and especially with Utah having passed medical marijuana. You know, we have a little saying that, you know, if Utah can do it, Idaho can. Like, that's our name, Idaho Cannabis Coalition. Right. But also, anything that's legal in Utah, shouldn't it just be legal nationwide at that point? <laughs> I mean, if Utah can handle it, what are we worried about? <laughs> that's oh, a pretty good point. That is that's um, the point of the day right there. Um, sticking on the topic of law enforcement, because it is, it, it is a, it, it does differ, uh, especially in our circumstance. We've seen from, you know, from department to department, from county to county agency to agency it seems like it's uh it it's treated differently and approached differently like i i I remember it wasn't too many years ago that um the lataw county sheriff uh down there in moscow he put out a letter essentially saying like it's the the fact that he has to test his officers before they even come in for weed you know they're right next to pullman so where it's legal and it's it's making it difficult for him to hire because they they essentially have to anybody who admits to it or they pop for marijuana that they, they're immediately can't be hired yeah and in another situation you know a border situation you'd have to deal with there in northern idaho is crossing the canadian border where uh the u.s customs now has has come up with a new rule that you know can ban people for life for coming trying to come across the border canadians trying to come into idaho can ban them from coming across the border if they admit to having used marijuana, if they admit that they are officers or workers in their marijuana industry, their legal marijuana industry anymore. And the most recent thing they've done is, it used to be if you were trying to cross the border and they started asking weed questions, you could say, oh, you know, I'm not going to answer those questions and I don't really want to cross the border now. And so then you still have the right to try again in the future, perhaps. Mm-hmm. They're taking the U.S. Customs taking that away now. That's the latest thing that's happened. Is they're taking away the ability to revoke your attempt to cross. So even if you try to cross and then don't answer the weed questions, they can ban you from coming across for life. So wow. this is more than just crossing Washington or, or Montana's border. This also is an international issue that Idaho is bringing up. Gotcha. So um, real quick to, to get back to kind of the the bare bones of it for a second. Um, what are, what's the, the legal side of this? Like what, uh, I know, you know, you're collecting signatures. What, uh, what mark do you have to get to? And once you get to that mark, what, what happens? Okay. So Idaho is, uh, one of the 24 states in the United States that have the power of direct citizen initiative and referendum in our constitution, the Idaho constitution, I should say, uh, specifies that right. And then the statutes that have been set up around that include two different thresholds. 
one threshold is that you must collect 6% of the registered voter signatures from the last gubernatorial election. That turns out to be 55,057 signatures that we have to collect statewide. But also, of those 55,057, you also must collect 6% of the registered voter signatures in 18 out of 35 legislative districts. Okay. That partially why Dad and I have been traveling all over the state to get signatures from everywhere. Now, that makes it inordinately hard to get something on the ballot. I think there's only one state of the 24, I think it's Mississippi, that has a more stringent requirement than Idaho has. And over the last legislative session, the Idaho legislature tried to even make it more stringent, to make it 10% of the signatures in 24 districts in one-third the time. They're going to shrink it from 18 months to six months. That got They got vetoed, thank, thank goodness. And the argument they bring up with this is that, well, we don't want all the city slickers and Boise and Pocatello and, and, and Coeur d'Alene deciding what goes on for all of Idaho. It should be a statewide thing. But if you do the gaming of that system, it actually makes it less likely that I'd want to try to get votes from a, 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 a try to get signatures in a sparsely populated district. There's one district in Idaho, the, the, the kind of the central wilderness, you know, says Frank Church, no return wilderness area district. It's mm-hmm. got like six counties and 25,000 square miles, one person per every 200 some odd miles. Wow. So am I going to try to collect 6% of the signatures in that district? Or am I going to sit in the Nampa Caldwell Boise area where there's 13 districts and one person every two miles, right? So it actually works contrary to their excuse of trying to get more rural uh, uh, buy-in by making it more likely that I'm going to stay in more populated districts so I can get both the statewide threshold and the district threshold. If there were no district threshold, then a vote from Idaho County is the same as a vote from Idaho City, is the same as a vote from Shoshone, is the same as a vote from Boise. A vote is a vote is a vote. Right. And an interesting... If I've got the time, <laughs> interesting side of this is Idaho used to have a law that mandated 22 out of 44 counties. That law was declared unconstitutional because, as I illustrate, it decreases the vote of one person versus another, depending on where they live. This district requirement is just as unconstitutional. It's just nobody sued over it yet. And I'll just leave it there. Gotcha. Okay. So um, once once you're once the, the the goal is reached, you know you get the signatures yeah. and then in the respective areas. This doesn't so contrary to what there's just it's not necessarily misinformation. I think just people just don't know about it. Um, this doesn't make it immediately legal. Uh, it it just puts it on the ballot. Is that correct? Right. So we have to get the fifty five thousand and fifty seven signatures by May first. If that's certified that we've done so, it then gets placed on the November twenty twenty presidential ballot. And then 50% plus one of Idaho voters have to approve of that. And if they do, it then becomes uh, the law for which the legislature then has to make up the regulations and gotcha. the statutes that, that run that uh, system. Gotcha. Now, unfortunately, we don't have the power of doing a constitutional amendment in Idaho. So what our statute, what ours is, is actually an initiated statute. Well, statutes are subject to the legislature. We could get this on the ballot, pass it. And the next day, the legislature could come in and repeal the whole thing, oh. change the whole thing. So not only do we want to win this thing, we feel we need to win big. We need to send a big message to the legislature that this is what the people want. Don't mess with it. As we've seen from uh, Idaho's passage of the Medicaid expansion for the last election, 
just because the people pass on initiative doesn't mean the legislature is going to come in and monkey with it. Right. The same thing happened in Utah with their medical marijuana. They passed an initiative, but then in comes the legislature to monkey with it. So we not only have to win, we've got to win big. Gotcha. So uh, as of so today, we're doing this interview on December 17th. Uh, what What's your signature count at the moment? Our all volunteer signature count so far, we've got 13, over 13,000 registered, or 13,000 notarized signatures in our office. Now, how many of those are actually valid is, well, we have to, we're going to have to go through them and find out because some people think they're registered, but they're not, or their address changed. But raw signatures, we can say we've got 13,000 sitting in the office right now. We've got another probably five or 6,000 that are out throughout our seven regions of the state with our various volunteer organizations. We need to mail those all in. And that leads us to what our next phase is here for 2020 is the paid signature gathering operation. And we're very, very optimistic that with the 13,000 we're bringing to the table, we'll be able to convince funders that, yes, Idaho is ready for this. The voters are ready. The signers are ready. We just need the money to continue. And so that's where we're at right now. We've got uh, some of our representatives down in Las Vegas at the MJ BizCon meeting with uh, potential funders. And uh, we'll give you the update as soon as we know. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. I, I always keep us in the know. It's a, it's a big deal here, especially in, uh, so turning it back to our local area, um, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that you had a North Idaho swing up here going through. Um, how, how did that go? Well, it's fantastic. We uh, collected over 400 signatures in our, let's see how many stops we have up there from five stops that we had up there. Uh, we had a great turnout in uh, Bonners Ferry in Sandpoint, Coeur Lane and Orofino and Wallace in each of those places. Really surprised us, especially in Wallace. Uh, we, we were coming down the road, it was, it was snowy and it was, it was nighttime. Uh, one of the things we didn't realize in planning this is, uh, oh yeah, we're above the 45th parallel, there's daylight savings time and the wrong Pacific time. Oh <laughs> so no. The sun is, sun's gone at four o'clock, man. Where did the sun go? So we were thinking, oh, it's late, it's nighttime, it's snowing, you know, nobody's going to come out. We pulled up to that center of the universe area, and there were already people waiting for us. Wow. Like we had to pull out two different clipboards to keep everybody busy and filled at least two petitions, maybe three, and got us a volunteer there who took another packet of petitions to collect more signatures. So we were very impressed by all of North Idaho, all of the places and it's far more signatures than we were expecting. Very good. That's 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 good for you guys' cause. Um, Absolutely. Do, so you guys plan on coming back to North Idaho again, maybe the Wallace area too? We would like to do another tour in the springtime and do, again, another 44-county swing. It'll depend on our fundraising if we can actually afford to do it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, uh, Ross, if anybody wanted more information on the Idaho Cannabis Coalition, how would they go about doing that? We are Idaho Can, C-A-N-N, two N's, idahocan.co on uh, the internet for our main website, but you can also find us on Facebook at idahocan, C-A-N-N, and on Twitter at idahocan, C-A-N-N. Perfect. Well, Russ, I, I think that's all the time we've got, but thank you for talking with us. We appreciate it, and uh, and uh, I guess we'll, we'll talk to you later. Thank you so much, guys. Absolutely. And thanks again to Russ for calling in and chatting with us about the Idaho Cannabis Coalition. Uh, it sounds like their trip up north Idaho was uh, positive, um, other than one instance, of course. Yeah, other than the uh-huh. Orofino. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so other than that, uh, it sounds like they were doing good. And, uh, well, maybe maybe we'll chat with him again when he comes up this way.
Hey, uh, be sure to check out the Holiday Palette Painting Party this week at Naughty Ridge Creations. The party is Thursday evening at 5 p.m. at their 105 McKinley Avenue location in Uptown Kellogg. Naughty Ridge Creations is your one-stop shop for custom printing needs. Perfect. I like it up there. Yeah. I like Naughty Ridge Creations. Sadie, Sadie's a big fan of... Uh... Riverbum stuff. Riverbum. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so definitely, definitely check out Riverbum. Yeah. Do they? So, have, do they have online stuff? I don't know if they do. I think she sells stuff on like Facebook and stuff. Oh okay. I don't right. know if they have like an online. Gotcha. Well, check them out on Facebook then. Yeah, there check them out on Facebook. Perfect. So local sports, uh, we've got kind of a doozy today. We'll kick it off with uh, our George Wild coverage. George Wild Wrestling. George Wild Wrestling Tournament coverage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the George Wild uh, Tournament was this past weekend. It's always a big event. Lots of people there, you know, 18 different wrestling teams. The Wildcats ended up taking fourth as a team behind uh, Post Falls, Timberlake, and Bonners Ferry. Um, they were neck and neck with the Bonners Ferry and Timberlake, which they're in the league together, so that's always good. And then uh, we had three champions from Kellogg. Uh, Judson Hall, Austin Stepro, and Dakota Eichsenberger all brought home the uh, the gold medals for Kellogg there, which is which is a big deal. They had a number of kids finish in like uh, fourth place, you know, a couple second places, a couple consolation titles, um, but just an overall good showing. Uh, Coach uh, Scott Miller was was really pleased. Um, uh, to quote him, uh, we had a a very solid day that ended really well for us. Miller said, we continue to hang around and give ourselves chances to win matches, which shows grit. All of our kids wrestled hard, and I think we made a solid step forward this week. So, you know, high praise coming from their coach. Uh, they now move on to uh, another tough uh, tough draw in the Tri-State Tournament this weekend at North Idaho College. Those uh, that, Both uh, Friday and Saturday's days of wrestling start at 10 a.m. So the sports recap... Uh, there's a lot of basketball here, so we'll just start the power Kellogg. through it. Yeah, the uh, the Kellogg girls um, hosted St. Mary's last week, uh, knocked them off 52-31. Uh, let's see, Emma Van Hoos, I think, led all scorers. Well, no, her and Haley Cheney led all scorers with 15 points apiece in that win. Uh, the next night, uh, later that week, Kellogg was on the road in Newport, where they knocked off. The uh, Cubs fifty-one to thirty-three. It seems like when Kellogg can hit that, the girls when they can hit that fifty mark, they they tend to do pretty well. Um, in that game, uh, it looked like. Let's see here. Haley Cheney went off for twenty-five points and fifteen rebounds. She's a sophomore. Uh, then on Saturday, the Kellogg girls went to, uh, Sandpoint where they took on the Bulldogs and lost the, the Sandpoint Bulldogs are hot right now. Um, they've won like five of their last six or something like that, but they beat them 46 to 41. Kellogg lost by five tough out for them. Cheney held to just four points. Uh, sophomore Darian Hill led the, uh, Wildcat scores with, uh, 11 points. Uh, moving on to Wallace girls. Uh, Wallace hosted the Bonners Ferry Badgers last week, and uh, Bonners knocked them off sixty to forty-five. Uh, it looked like uh, Jaden House had seventeen points to lead all scores, or I'm sorry, lead the the minor scores there. Uh, the minors uh, host or sorry traveled to Priest River on Saturday, where Jaden House had nineteen points, 
and uh, the the miners won forty nine to thirty six on that tough uh, tough road trip there. Wallace boys basketball the uh, the miners were on the road in St Mary's and uh, they struggled a little bit down there losing fifty eight to thirty nine but uh, it was uh, Luke Hole and uh, Hayden Hogemeyer leading the way with uh, thirteen and eleven points apiece to kind of pace the 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 miners there. Uh, then the miners rectified that loss with a uh, a big sixty to forty four win over Priest River on Saturday, and uh, Carter Bailey had twenty points and Logan Hull had sixteen. So a uh, <coughs> pardon me a a good showing there for uh, for the minor boys. Moving over, got to flip the page here for Kellogg boys basketball. Uh, the uh, Kellogg boys were on the road up in Newport where they lost 53-43. Uh, tough, tough out for the Wildcats who led 28-20 at halftime and then got outscored 33-15 the rest of the game. So uh, not, not a great showing there. But then they went up to Sandpoint on Saturday and knocked off the Bulldogs 59-51, including a game-high 21 points from senior Graydon Nearing. So, uh, good showing there. Gavin Luna also chipped in 11 points and 10 rebounds for the Wildcats. Uh, Mullen basketball, they were both on the road. Both boys and girls were on the road in Deary. The boys lost 68-29, to and the girls lost 48-9. to We didn't really get any other information there. Um, and that will do it for the sports recap. But uh, just a heads up, we have some incredibly busy... Uh, Busy weeks coming up for local sports. Uh, right now, this week, we've got games all week long. Um, then after Christmas, the Kellogg Wildcats are on the road in Freeman for a two-day tournament on uh, December 26th and 27th. So no real rest for the holidays other than uh, maybe something this weekend and through Christmas. But busy teams, busy teams up here. Lots of sports coming up. Yeah, lots of sports. My goodness. And and lots of local teams. Uh, we got Wallace playing Mullen here coming yeah, up. Yeah, we've got Wallace Mullen tomorrow night, Thursday yeah. night. Um, and then tonight we have Kellogg and Wallace. Correct. Girls at in yeah. Kellogg. So a lot of, lot of cross-valley cross rivalry going cross, on. Cross-valley games going on. There we on, go. So that's awesome. Very cool. Uh, hey, Christmas will, be one sh- uh, Christmas will be in one short week, and there's still time to stop into Kellogg Plastics Showroom and pick up your LED lights for decorating. They have many different styles and colors, and they also have variety for all events. Don't forget that they manufacture peat shoe dryers as well. Tis the season of getting wet shoes, and what better way to dry them than with a peat shoe dryer? Kellogg Plastics is located at 113 East Main Street in Smelterville, or you can call them at 208-783-1118. You know, we've never endorsed a product on here before. Like, we never said we, we, we officially, like, endorse a product, but peat shoe dryer. Yeah. 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 It's a handy little thing. More of a footsie little thing. Ah. Oh God! If anybody's still listening at this point, yeah. <laughs> just turn it off after that one. Man, there was a real sharp drop right after the Kellogg Plastics ad. Right, that was weird. <laughs> so regional headlines. This is always a fun one, and I've got a uh, I've got a doozy coming out of the Bonner County Daily Bee. Keith Kennard headline. 
Man accused of burglarizing judge's home. Mm. So if you're going to steal from someone, the last person on that list, like it should go like, like hated enemy. Yep. Police officer. Sure. Then judge. Yeah. Judge is judge is like the last person because not only does he. Does it say in the story, did he know it was a judge's place? I don't don't think so. Okay. But we'll read it. The Coeur d'Alene man is facing, uh, then this happened in Sandpoint. Okay. A Coeur d'Alene man is facing a suite of felony charges for allegedly breaking into a senior first district court judge's home in Sagal and stealing guns and other property. (laughs) Sean Thomas Monty Jr. is charged with one count of burglary and seven counts of grand theft. It's unclear of court records if Mon- um, from court records if Monty will be issued a summons to appear in court or if he is subject if he is the subject of an arrest warrant. Now, Sean Monty weren't they the family that had that company where it was like he's our dad? Wasn't that the Sean Monty? It's off my radar. Oh, it's a local commercial. Okay. Uh, the burglary occurred sometime between April 8th and May 13th when the uh, Judge James uh, ooh, Machowd and his wife were away. Uh, suspicions of a break-in were aroused when the judge found a box of twenty-two caliber ammunition at the foot of the basement stairs. Then the judge discovered that several rifles, a shotgun, and a replica flintlock pistol were missing from the home. Also missing, a vacuum cleaner, power tools, and a snowblower, as well as a diamond pendant were taken. Uh, the heist turned out to be something of an inside job. Uh... Uh, the Machon's uh, grandson was given permission to stay at the home while the couple was away, and suspicion fell on Monty, who was a guest of the oh, grandson. No. Uh, Monty, 24, could not be located during the uh, Bonner County Sheriff's investigation, and uh, burglary is punishable, punishable by up to 10 years, while grand theft is punishable by up to 14 years. So it's safe I mean, to say that he won't have that judge as his judge. Yeah, I would say the judge won't be uh, his judge, but uh, you know, I, I have a feeling that most judges are kind of like, a, "Hey, like we stick together," kind of thing. Maybe, yeah. Especially when people rob them or burglarize them, right? And uh, guns, like guns. I mean, it's just bad luck. Like, I mean, well, no, oh, if it's an inside job, they knew, in, they knew he, he was a judge. Knew he was a judge. Okay, all right, no, no sympathy then. Like, if, like, if you broke in and you're like, all right, I didn't know this was a judge's house. Like, I'm an idiot. You're like, like rifling through his closet and like, man, this guy must be really involved in his local church choir. He's got so many of these, so black many robes. black robes. <laughs> what is this guy a monk? I'm gonna steal these two. What okay. he didn't notice were the pictures on the wall, the very solemn, judgy these, pictures. can use these for Halloween. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, this is jumping over. This Hungry Horse News? Where is this out of, Josh? So this was uh, posted on the Daily Interlake okay. um, via the Hungry Horse News. Okay, gotcha. So uh, this is the uh, headline is Columbia Falls Firefighters Respond to Two Fires Within Four Minutes. This is authored by Chris Peterson with the Hungry Horse News. Uh, Columbia Falls firefighters were busy early Sunday morning after they received two major fire calls within four minutes of each other. We had a similar, mm-hmm. semi-similar situation here. Not, not four minutes, but... Um, well, maybe the McConnell day, McConnell fire. Oh, I would, I mean, technically they weren't they were four working, minutes, but technically they were working on the uh, fire on the hill in Kellogg when the one up Latour Creek broke out. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So we've, we've had some incidents, but not four minutes. Um, the first call came in for a fire at the 
Weyerhaeuser medium density fireboard plant on line two at about 4 a.m. Second call came in for flames coming out of the roof of a house at 1135 Third Avenue, West Columbia Falls, uh, Fire Fire Chief Rick Hagen said. Fire department split its resources with the rural fire engine going to the Weyerhaeuser and the city engine going to the uh, the house fire. No one was injured in either blaze, which is good. Uh, The MDF fire was largely put out by uh, put out by the Weyerhaeuser staff and the plant's automatic de- uh, deluge system. Deluge? Yeah. Deluge. Deluge, yeah. Firefighters from Bad Rock responded with mutual aid, and firefighters were on scene making sure the plant was okay until about 5.30 a.m., Hagen said. Uh, Weyerhaeuser officials said the line did not operate Monday as the company conducted, quote, an intensive investigation into the cause so that it does not happen again. Uh, they then transitioned to help crews at the house fire, which was largely confined to the roof and attic. There was no fire below the ceiling, Hagen said. However, the house received extensive damage and the roof was a complete loss. It was a difficult fire to mop up, Hagen said. Firefighters determined that the fire started near the flume of the chimney, flue of the chimney, uh, but no one was home at the time and there was no fire in the wood stove either, though the family had a hot fire earlier in the day. Evergreen and Whitefish firefighters responded with mutual aid to that blaze. Oof. Busy, 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 busy morning. Yeah, hope thankfully no one was hurt. So, uh, this one uh, coming out of Coeur d'Alene Press by Ralph Bartholt. Mm-hmm. Suspended sentence for creator of Hunted and Confronted. So, uh, Jesse Weeks, the uh, creator of the show Hunted and Confronted, uh, it's a nationally broadcasted program that targets uh, pedophiles. He has got a two-year probation sentence for his heroin addiction. Oh, Um, uh, the show, it's a Facebook group, uh, gained prominence on reality TV and television news channels. Uh, what he does is he, he finds people who are like preying on children and then he, along with, uh, you know, his people will, uh, like create like fake internet accounts and then lure, uh, these pedophiles out into the open and then video them confronting him Mm -hmm. or confronting them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sometimes the cops are involved. Sometimes uh, the incident is enough to legitimately scare the guys into, like, oh, man, this was humiliating. This was the worst thing ever. Um, There was one that was in Post Falls. Uh, This guy, Jesse Weeks, was literally on Dr. Phil just a few days ago. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, he was arrested last spring after he overdosed on heroin at his mom's house in Post Falls. And uh, he was released from jail to attend a a community-based drug rehabilitation. But uh, he had on several occasions tested positive for opioid use. Um, And this one was actually presided over by Judge Scott Wayman. Hmm. Um, You know, he and and Weeks uh, says that he got hooked on opioids and in painkillers following an injury as a teenager And he talks about how he never drank or smoked weed or anything like that, had good grades, but he ended up with an opiate addiction. And, uh, you know, he's he's openly told uh, deputies and people that he's a relapsed uh, uh, kind of a guy who just seems to know he's got a problem and uh, trying to help himself but can't help himself. So, you know, for Wayman to give him the suspended sentence and put him on probation is showing that hopefully, I, I think Judge Wayman's got hope that the guy will clean up his act. Um, he has uh, helped law enforcement with over 18 different sexual predator cases over the last few years, though. So, 
you know, this guy's out there doing good and kind of struggling with his own personal demons, those being heroin addiction or opioid addiction. So, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully the guy gets his stuff figured out and uh, can clean up because it sounds like he's out there doing uh, doing the Lord's work. Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. <laughs> you know? All right. Ridding well, the streets. Yeah. That's, uh, those drugs are better, honestly. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Let's move over to the Coeur d'Alene Press. Hayden Home House's second largest nutcracker collection in the world. In the world. In the world. This is written by uh, Devin Weeks, staff writer over the Coeur d'Alene Press. Uh, it all started with a gnome. Quote, ah, this is the real McCoy, C.J. Davis said, smiling as she pulled a curious wooden object out of a tote filled with other paper-covered objects. Uh, the vintage hand-carved, hand-held Bavarian wooden nutcracker had a long beard and a pointed hat. It looked nothing like the nutcrackers that normally come to mind in soldier attire accompanied by thick eyebrows and swords. 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 Some swords. Some swords. <laughs> Some swords. Got him uh, with the swords. Yeah. Uh, at their sides. Quote, he was probably 50 years old back in the 50s, Davis said, examining the piece. He's an old guy, but that started the whole thing. A lot of people made gnomes. This particular gnome was the beginning of a generational legacy for Davis, whose dad founded it at an antique store in the Midwest when she was about five years old. Quote, my mother got so mad, she goes, what do you want for that thing? Uh, I want that thing for, Davis said. Well, this is the start of my collection. She remembers when her dad, Hal Davis, first began expanding this Nutcracker collection from one to many. Back then, there there wasn't internet, so he was buying them through a magazine called Antique Trader. She recalled, people would advertise all over the world, and he had a little ad in there. Then a box would come in, in the mail, and it would be a nutcracker. The Christmassy collection has grown to include more than 3,500 pieces from Germany, Italy, America, and Australia, with countless years of history and stories connected to each one. Quote, the oldest piece I know are the ones I have, those uh, nutting stones, and they're about, fi- uh, they're about 500 B.C., she said. Grabbing a small stone and hand-sized rock with a con- convex dip in the surface, those are nutting stones. They are found, with an, uh, found them in archaeological digs in Arkansas. They would find these in digs underneath the trees where they would sit and crack. Davis's Nutcracker Collection is one of the largest in the world, second only to the Leavenworth Nutcracker Museum in Washington. She served on the board of the museum for 18 years and was named director uh, director after she, after she retired last year. Wow. Yeah. Um, so. This, yeah, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but boy, this is a great, this is, I mean, very curious, very unique. And uh, it's, how, the, the two largest Nutcracker Collections in the world are both in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess you would say, you know, when you say Nutcracker, people uh, people always picture the traditional sure. soldier, like it was said. Of course. But in the instance, in this instance, would you say it was a misnomer? <laughs> oh, 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 oh. No one's listening oh, at this oh, point oh. after the first pun, so... That was a good one. That was, that was, that was pretty good. I'm actually going to just say, Devin, I wish you would have put misnomer in uh. your story... Don't be afraid of puns, Devin. Don't. <laughs> Don't. They're they're the spice of life. Uh, and then there's always one person that looks at it and goes, oh, I get that. Yeah. And then they, <laughs> they smile. Oh, I got that. That's cool, though. Hey, uh-huh. uh, 
If you're looking for a refreshing, locally made beer, check out Radio Brewing at 319 Main Street in Uptown Kellogg. Don't forget about Wednesday Night Trivia with Johnny B, where they're in the midst of their six-week trivia series with the winner getting a free keg of beer. Keep your eye out for their Uptown Throwdown block party scheduled for February 1st, and make sure to mention the podcast here, SMP Now, when you go into their tap room to get your first beer for only $1. Radio Brewing, put radio in your mouth hole. Love it. All right. Josh, let's wrap this up. We've got cookbooks, don't we? We do. The cookbooks. The cookbooks that have been, you know, ordered and purchased and the meticulously poured over as as ladies from around the community, like they gave up a few of their secret recipes. Not Mm -hmm. all of them, Mm -hmm. but you know. Um, those cookbooks are ready. They're in the office. Um, they look good. I think some of them might even be delivered, I believe. Now don't quote me on that. But uh, for those of you, if you ordered one and you didn't get it, make sure to come into the office here. We've got them here for sure. We've got a big old box of them. Give us a call. And then, uh, you know, another little uh, tidbit. Uh, a few weeks ago, we ran a story about local uh, local uh, 10-year-old boxer Chevy Ward. He's competing for the Idaho Silver Gloves. And uh, he'll be having a spaghetti dinner fundraiser at St. Rita's Church in Wallace, Saturday, December 21st from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, Chevy will be advancing to the West Regional Boxing Tournament in Boise next month. The cost is $5 for food, and uh, any other uh, donations are appreciated. Perfect, perfect. Um, anything on our on our radars right now, Josh? You know, uh, we're getting ready for a fun, a fun special section called Fit and Fab, uh-huh. and uh, that's going to be uh, one of our New Year's publications. Um, we've just got so much stuff. We've got the holidays, which always is kind of a weird time for us work-wise, but it's also a fun time. Um, just, you know, we're we're coasting in the new year. We'll have our year in review yeah, in, in, a, in like three editions or so. That'll be a fun edition. Um, we could that's probably... always kind of a nice edition because we don't really put too much new content in it. it. It gives us the ability to kind of revisit some old stuff. And it gives us a little bit of a, a, a some some time off. You know, yeah. we're not killing ourselves walking into the new year. It gives us a. That would be fun to bring through. up on the podcast, though. We haven't done that before. Yeah, so. a couple uh, gives us a couple times to or a couple days to kind of recharge before the new year. So absolutely. Hey, well, once again, we'd like to thank Kellogg McDonald's for sponsoring this week's podcast episode. Once again, go try those delicious Mick Cafe donut sticks, and don't forget to get the chocolate sauce. Got to get the chocolate and sauce. And hey. Don't stop there. Dip the fries in the chocolate sauce. You'll thank me later. Hashtag chocolate sauce. Chocolate sauce. There you go. All, All right. right. This has been us. Thanks again for listening in. And uh, we'll we'll see you we'll see you right before the holiday. We'll, we'll, if, if everything goes according to plan, we'll be dropping an episode on Christmas. It'll be our Christmas present to you guys. There you go. Talk All to right. you later. Talk to you later.